Hello, and welcome to the final Roundup podcast of 2021. I'm recording this here in my office uh, going on 3 p.m. on New Year's Eve. Um, I've got our boys in the office adjacent to mine, and for uh, practice listeners of this podcast, um, you know that I don't know what I'm doing and thus um, can't even, I I don't even know how to pause the recording uh, if they were to burst in here. Uh, So um, I'm warning you in advance of possible interruptions um, and poor uh, editing quality, which is to say no editing. Um, By the way, if you know anyone, or if you yourself uh, do editing for podcasts, uh, feel free to email me. Um, That's one thing I'd like to work on a little bit this year. Uh, I wouldn't say it's a New Year's resolution so much as a uh, a New Year's um, intent. A few things to talk about today. Uh, I want to talk about Omicron, uh, DeSantis and AOC and their vacations or lack of vacations and uh, a few forecast items for 2022. Even though I'm recording this on the last day of 2021, we'll be doing a retrospective of the past year. Um, You've likely already read, um, or hopefully you've already read, uh, the piece I did right before Christmas, uh, 2021 Wallows in Teenage Angst, which was my attempt to kind of do a, a fun, silly a different type of retrospective on 2021. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. If you haven't haven't read it, got some very interesting feedback uh, on that one. Um, It's funny, I write serious stuff and then I write kind of silly stuff or stuff that I I think is funny or I intend to be funny and uh, different uh, different people respond differently to those two types of material, as one might um, might imagine. Um, so COVID, uh, we're still talking about this as we transition into 2022, uh, as we were last year at this time. And um, But there's a very different uh, kind of political environment around COVID right now. Uh, the couple couple weeks ago, I wrote something about how, as Omicron was ramping up, uh, don't basically don't repeat our mistakes to, to look at, uh, the, the failures of, uh, restrictionist policies that we've implemented throughout the pandemic, um, and the way in which they didn't clearly improve health outcomes and clearly, um, were detrimental to, uh, other aspects of people's lives and certainly their freedoms. Um, and uh, the Biden administration and so far, uh, Kate Brown um, are clearly read my piece and uh, agree with me uh, because they're really not talking about instituting uh, a lot of new restrictions at this point. There's all kinds of warnings out there um, and everyone's freaking out uh, about Omicron but uh, we haven't seen a return to lockdowns yet. Um, And um, a lot of the public health apparatus within the federal government, in fact, is uh, rather than mounting an argument about why we need to be uh, increasing restrictions, which they did for the earlier part of the pandemic, now are 
um, are arguing against uh, increasing uh, restrictions um, in a in kind of a funny uh, funny way. Um, a couple of examples uh, that I wanted to talk about is um, uh, Anthony Fauci was on some program uh, in the last couple of days in which um, the interviewer had asked him about uh, increasing hospitalizations of kids with COVID. And he uh, explained that, well, those numbers of COVID hospitalized kids actually include uh, not just kids that are hospitalized because of COVID, but kids that are hospitalized with COVID. Uh, because if you're going to go into the hospital these days, uh, chances are you're going to be given a COVID test. Uh, there's a certain percentage of the population that's that has COVID and doesn't even know they have it. They're asymptomatic. Um, the data appears to be that children um, are much more likely to be asymptomatic or very lightly symptomatic than than adults. And so you go in for a broken leg, uh, for example, and you happen to test positive for COVID, well, that's a COVID hospitalization. Um, now, that's that's a reasonable distinction and one that um, I'm, I'm glad that Fauci is making now. It's also something that people have been talking about um, for since the beginning of the pandemic. Um, when questioning the official case numbers, uh, et cetera. Um, and, and there's no reason in my mind that what Fauci's explanation for kids is uh, d- doesn't apply to adults as well. Um, so what what are the real numbers in terms of the hospitalizations due to COVID uh, versus the hospitalizations with COVID? Uh, maybe we'll never know, um, but it certainly calls into question uh, the reliance on uh, some of this data uh, throughout the pandemic. Um, and it's even more interesting now that that Fauci's essentially arguing against uh, further uh, mandatory restrictions um, that he's adopting uh, that kind of thought process that uh, those of us who were questioning the public health approach to this uh, from early on uh, were pointing out uh, for quite some time, and uh, we were viewed as cretins um, for even pointing that out. So, um, definitely a different, um, a different point of view. Um, the CDC also recently uh, changed their recommended um, quarantine for someone who tests positive uh, for COVID uh, from ten days uh, down to five days, and the explanation for this. Uh, was that um, the reason why they went from 10 to 5 days is uh, not because the science changed, um, but just because they they thought, the CDC thought, that that's all that uh, Americans would tolerate uh, anymore, um, which is probably true, um, but also kind of an interesting... Uh, glimpse of what the CDC thinks its role is uh, in governing the United States during this pandemic. Um, I I don't think the CDC really has a better read than anyone listening to this podcast right now about what the American people will tolerate uh, when it comes to COVID restrictions 
In fact, I think the evidence is that they don't know much about what Americans will tolerate given uh, its commitment to uh, intolerable uh, restrictions for quite some time now. And the fact of the matter is that um, the politics around COVID have changed. People are sick of it. Um, and uh, it's uh, no longer is the public health apparatus within the federal government um, trying to uh, embarrass the political leadership of the federal government, as I think it clearly was trying to do at times in the Trump administration. Uh, they are uh, trying to protect the uh, political leadership of the federal government. Um, and so uh, they are making decisions in a, in a way to try to maximize the political benefit uh, to their political, uh, political bosses, which is um, not surprising and probably inevitable, um, but certainly is uh, contrary to the way that public health officials portray themselves as interested in only the science and kind of the the oracles of science within the federal government. The fact is they are political actors appointed by political people uh, who need to get votes to stay in office. And uh, it's inevitable that politics are going to enter um, that equation. And um, and they have throughout the pandemic. And it's it's an argument really to limit the degree to which um, these folks, uh, these government officials have power over our lives because it is inevitable that they will act in a uh, self-interested fashion, in a political fashion. And, um, and so why should we uh, empower them to do more than what is absolutely necessary um, given the fact that they are political actors, uh, just like the folks that we we elect. Um, and so uh, I think it's pretty clear that um, the Democrats are concerned about the upcoming uh, midterm elections, probably for good reason. They know that people are not of a mind, most people are not of a mind for for more restrictions. And uh, the public health apparatus is following along accordingly. Um, uh, they have not... Um, they have not demonstrated themselves to be trustworthy actors for the most part during uh, during this pandemic, and um, it it should be the case that there is a serious uh, evaluation of the role of uh, those federal agencies uh, in policymaking uh, because they this this pandemic is what they exist to address. And uh, they have done a very poor job in addressing it. Um, and Americans presumably have lost a great deal of faith in those organizations. How many billions of dollars or maybe yeah, billions at least dollars have, have we spent building up uh, the CDC, for example, over the decades uh, in preparation for something like this pandemic, and uh, they were caught in to a large degree flat-footed, and um, they were giving contradictory and self-serving uh, and politically driven information from the beginning. Um, they were 
and have been and continue to um, uh, take positions uh, that are are pretty clearly designed to um, create scapegoats uh, in the American public, specifically with regard to the unvaccinated. Um, it's, you know, I've said before many times I'm vaccinated. I think the data is that it's a good idea to get vaccinated, but that's a decision that's up to every, um, every individual. And if Omicron uh, shows us anything, it's that uh, even the vaccinated are getting it. And so um, it, as that is the case in Omicron more so than prior variations, um, is infecting the, the vaccinated. Um, and when the argument is made repeatedly by public health officials that the only way to stop the spread or reduce the spread of Omicron is for more people to get vaccinated, that just doesn't quite add up. Now, it does, vaccination uh, does reduce hospitalization and death. And that's why, in my opinion, it's a good idea to do it regardless. Um, but the the constant harping uh, on on vaccination and blaming the unvaccinated for the spread of a disease that is being spread, contracted and spread by people who have been vaccinated is just um, really quite tone deaf um, and um, and I think problematic coming from uh, federal agencies uh, whose job, should be to give advice uh, and to um, to give people information that they can use to make their own individual decisions uh, about how to how to live their lives and how to maximize their health um, and not to divide the country into two or more groups that are pitted against each other and play the blame game. Um, Speaking of uh, governments and government agencies and politicians um, not really doing knowing what they're doing, um, a couple of stories recently have kind of been a big deal, at least in some quarters. One is that um, Ron DeSantis, the uh, governor of Florida, has not had any public appearances for a week or two, and that's causing his many political opponents to wonder where he is and point out the fact that he's been um, not visible. Um, and then um, also involving Florida today, uh, someone got some photos of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, in um, Miami Beach uh, with her boyfriend having some drinks outside, apparently uh, on vacation. Um and her political opponents have pointed out that that seems hypocritical. Um, you know, she's in favor of all manner of lockdowns and masking and and COVID restrictions. And then she uh, travels to a place um, that is known for its lax approach to uh, COVID, at least in terms of the existence of government restrictions um, and having a, a nice time while uh, New York, where she's from, suffers from uh, a really serious spike in cases. Um, here's the thing about this. Um, I agree with DeSantis a lot more than I agree with AOC, 
But if either or both of them want to go on vacation or don't or want to be away from their jobs for a period of time, it doesn't strike me that that's a terrible thing. Um, the idea that AOC, if she were in New York, could materially affect the outcome of the Omicron surge there is just kind of laughable. I mean, she's a member of Congress. She's one of 435 members of the House. She has no administrative authority in New York or anywhere else. She can't just order things uh, to happen. And moreover, the evidence, uh, including that which we just went through, is that when the government has uh, tried to exercise authority with regard to COVID, it's often done so poorly. Um, and has uh, has created as many or more problems than it it has solved. So um, go on vacation, guys. Um, Kate Brown, our governor here in Oregon, she was AWOL for a week or two a while back, didn't have any public appearances, didn't do a press conference for a couple months. Um, fine. That's great. Um, I don't need to see my governor um, uh, on a regular basis. I'd prefer she did less rather than more. Um, and if she wants to take a permanent vacation, um, that's fine with me. If AOC wants to vacation in Florida, great. If Ron DeSantis doesn't want to make any public appearances for a couple of weeks over the holidays, more power to him. Um, the kind of omnipresent um, political figure approach is, um, is tiring. And um, the idea we need these people uh, front and center uh, pulling the, the levers of power at all times or the wheels fall off of society is wrong um, and, and perpetuates this idea that uh, the government is actually capable of doing things that it is not. Um, and, it, um, and so take vacations, guys, whenever and wherever you want. Um, more power to you. Uh, a couple, th a few things for uh, that I wanted to talk about with regard to what might be coming up in 2022. Um, I won't make any predictions. I'm atrociously bad at predictions. Um, I thought that uh, Mitt Romney would win back in 2012. I thought that Donald Trump would get. Um, blown out of the water uh, in both 16 and 20. And of course, in 16, he won a close election. And in 20, he lost a close election. So um, I'm not making any electoral <laughs> predictions uh, today. Um, but I think it's it, one trend that I think has reversed dramatically is the defund the police movement. And I think in 2022, we'll see a, a, a consolidation of that turnaround and probably even uh, a strong push in many jurisdictions to, to materially increase the amount of funding uh, for police and public safety. Um, the mayor of San Francisco in the last couple of weeks has come out and said, and she was famously part of the defund movement, uh, anti-police, and of course that city um, is you know, in many ways in disarray right now with um, widespread homeless camps and kind of organized criminal raids of retail establishments and all manner of uh, bad stuff going on down there. 
uh, the mayor recently came out and said, well, we're not doing that anymore. And in fact, we're cracking down on all this. Um, if she can do that in San Francisco, which is uh, one of the most progressive places in the country, um, it can happen anywhere. And it will likely happen anywhere. Um, anywhere you have this this situation where there's been um, kind of an anti-police mentality that has either or either led to actually defunding the police or uh, at least rhetorically um, handcuffing them, so to speak, um, and and basically making it harder for them to do their jobs. Um, and when you see a an increase in crime in these places, which is happening in a lot of cities across the United States, um, there's going to be a backlash against that. Uh, and even in liberal places like San Francisco, there's going to be a backlash because people uh, people don't like it. And uh, there are some folks on the really highly ideological fringe who are still going to push back on that. Um, um, but for the most part, even progressive folks, um, want to feel safe in their neighborhoods and, uh, they, they don't like the idea of businesses being attacked and, and robbed. Um, and, uh, and they, they know disorder, uh, when they see it. Um, so defund is, is already dead. Um, and ironically enough, it will lead in 2022, I think, to a refund and more uh, movement that won't be uh, really organized in the way the defund movement was, uh, but will be geographically dispersed um, as voters insist on uh, more law and order in their cities and in their communities. And um, and it, if you it's it's hard to think about a political movement in recent years that has been more self-destructive to those who pursued it than the defund police movement. Um, if your idea is you want police to commit less violent acts against African-Americans, um, and you believe that the way to do that is to actually just deprive the police of resources. Depriving the police of resources, it ends up, um, I don't know if it's had any effect on violence against African-Americans by police officers, either justified or, or not, um, but the anti-police approach and the defunding of police has surely contributed to uh, rising crime um, and general disorder in many American cities. And the backlash is going to um, both, I think, politically punish uh, those politicians who espouse the defund movement um, and also lead to the police getting more money and uh, probably more, uh, more authority uh, over time, uh, to, and fewer restrictions on their, on their behavior and their conduct, um, all because of the defund movement. It was a suicidal, 
political movement and short-sighted and um, just crazy. Uh, it's it's remarkably self-defeating. I think it's bad for our society, um, but it's if you just take at face value the defunders' goals and beliefs, it's been self-destructive to those beliefs and those goals. Um, and so, for that reason, um, talk about a strategic uh, a strategic mistake uh, in many ways. Um, yeah, the police, there definitely should be reforms to the police. I think the police unions are way too powerful. I wrote a piece back when the defund thing was going hot and heavy uh, a year and a half ago or so um, about um, you know changing the way that those police union contracts uh, protect police who uh, engage in misconduct and keep them on the job. Uh, you don't need to defund the police to do that. You simply need to ensure that uh, there is a mechanism, uh, there are disincentives, strong disincentives for misconduct. Um, and too often those disincentives aren't there because these union contracts give the unions um, to one degree or another veto authority over um, over uh, disciplinary actions against police officers who do, uh, who do bad stuff. Uh, and um, a, a reform like that would have been far more, um, far more beneficial to the problem that the defunders claimed to be concerned about. Um, but it, I guess, it doesn't sound as good as uh, as defunding the police, um, and uh, and it actually probably was uh, politically um, doable. Um, in a way that maybe they didn't, um, they didn't want, did they want the fight more than, uh, actually making some material reforms? It's a good question. Um, I think that another thing that's likely to happen in 2022 is I think it's becoming more clear that Donald Trump is not going to run for president in 2024. Let me, I was kind of on the fence about this uh, until recently, and certainly he still could. But he, a couple times in the last couple of weeks, he's talked about um, the vaccines uh, in a way that suggests to me he's not going to run. Um, and specifically, he's touted um, their how great they are, uh, how how good they are, that they are one of the uh, greatest achievements of mankind. Um, and that he's vaccinated and boosted uh, and that he thinks everyone should do that. Now, I don't think there's anything at all wrong with him uh, with him saying that. And I think it's appropriate for him to take some credit for the work his administration did to allow those vaccines to be developed quickly. Um, but he knows, um, if there's anything Donald Trump knows, he knows what his base thinks about stuff. And a lot of his base doesn't like the vaccines. Um, and um, in fact, the blowback to him saying this was that a lot of really anti-vax folks um, kind of wrote him off, like folks that, that previously liked him, kind of wrote him off and gave him a hard time about it. Um, 
I think that I think that Trump in making those statements was trying to burnish his um, his legacy, quite honestly. And I think he's got a good argument that the um, the 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 biggest achievement of his administration was speeding the the development and delivery of those vaccines. And he's, um, and that's something that the history books will probably write favorably uh, about him. Uh, but it's also something that makes it harder for him to get the Republican nomination in 2024. And I think he understands that trade-off. And I think that he is, he has his eye on his legacy from his first term, his one term as president, more so than, um, than trying to win in 2024. Could be wrong. We'll see what happens uh, in 2022. But I suspect that Donald Trump will be uh, a far less significant figure in Republican politics at the end of 2022 than he is uh, right now. And I think he's edging uh, toward um, a situation in which he doesn't run uh, for president in 2024. Um, now, he won't make that official until he has to, because I think he probably makes money off of people thinking that he's he's going to run for president and he, he likes attention. Um, and that's one way for him to get attention. But I do think that's the, uh, the ultimate, um, the ultimate outcome is that he won't, um, he won't be running. Um, finally, uh, China, um, it's probably not going too far out on a limb to forecast that, um, things are probably going to continue to get worse between the United States in China. And um, it's really remarkable in a way that um, the, there's going to be the Winter Olympics uh, in China here in a month, a little over a month, in February of 22. Um, they're hosting the the Winter Olympics. And um, I think the United States is planning what they're what we're calling a diplomatic boycott, which is to say that our athletes can compete, but American government officials aren't going to attend um, uh, for whatever that is, is worth. Um, but there's part of this that um, I probably overly make historical comparisons in my own mind. And because you're listening to this, you'll be subjected to them too. There's a lot about this that it makes me think of the 1936 Summer Olympics in Berlin. Um, people knew that Hitler was bad. Uh, Hitler was in charge of Germany, obviously, in 1936. People knew Hitler was bad. They didn't know how bad he'd end up being yet at that point. And um, hosted the Olympics in Berlin. It was kind of his um, his opportunity to, sh to showcase his his country and his Nazi party to the world. And, uh, uh, of course, famously, uh, Jesse Owens, uh, the African-American um, uh, runner, um, won the gold medal there, which is great. One of the um, one of the cool kind of intersections of sports and and history that we've we've seen over the over the last century or so. Um, but it was. Um, kind of in retrospect, the fact that 
everyone went to uh, Berlin to participate in the Olympics, uh, given what uh, Hitler would do to the world uh, and to his own people, and uh, specifically, largely to uh, certain minority groups such as uh, Jewish people um, over the the coming ten years, um, it's it's really something else to think that uh, it was acceptable for people to participate in the Olympics and kind of put that help make a, a showcase for Adolf Hitler uh, in 1936, which isn't to say that China is the same as. Um, uh, today's China is the same as Nazi Germany. It clearly isn't. I wrote something a while back about kind of comparing the the rise of China with the rise of Nazi Germany, and um, and there are some kind of eerie uh, uh, comparisons. I, I didn't write about the Olympics, but that's another eerie uh, comparison. Um, but I think it's it's pretty clear that the Chinese government is. Uh, is not um, a positive force in in the world uh, and is a very negative force in the world, uh, is a real and growing threat uh, against the United States. Um, they tested this missile a while back um, that uh, would make it relatively easy for them to strike uh, the United States on very short notice uh, and in a way that our defenses really couldn't, couldn't resist and in a way also that we are not capable of doing now. Um, and so they're, they've demonstrated that they're ahead of us in some military capabilities and technology in a way that uh, raises the question of um, who, um, kind of where we stand versus, uh, versus them and in the event that there is a military conflict at some point in the future, what the outcome of that conflict um, would be, but just um, just like with Hitler, um, Hitler's Germany, uh, China is kind of first and foremost and immediately a threat to its own people. Uh, the Uyghur uh, camps. There's over a million uh, Uyghur minority uh, population members uh, that are in concentration camps uh, throughout China right now. Um, uh, to the best we know there, he's not, China's not gassing them in the way that Hitler did to the Jews and others, uh, in Nazi Germany, but certainly the rounding up and, uh, of, of ethnic minorities and putting them in concentration camps is not a good, uh, not a good sign. Um, and, um, we're, we just see kind of the, the tip of the iceberg in terms of China's response to COVID um, within its borders. There was some video that was out on the internet in the last week or two um, that from a city in China where there had been an outbreak of COVID and there, the, the government is welding people into their uh, apartments, um, marching through town with, you know, these people in these, um, you know, hazmat suits government officials in hazmat suits marching through town kind of display of force you will do this or you um, you'll be in trouble um, it it just uh, it just uh, is um, I don't get a good feeling uh, out of what's coming uh, from China and uh, the Olympics kind of add to that 
Now, does that mean in 2022 we will be at war with China? Gee, I hope not. Um, uh, does it mean that we will continue to um, have um, kind of uh, oppo increasingly opposing oppositional um, relations with China? Yeah, I think so. And um, where that ends up, um, who knows? Who knows? But I think 2022, there's going to be um, a kind of a return to reality in terms of some of this international stuff that's been pretty quiet for a while. And uh, and kind of our what happens when the United States is no longer the uh, unchallenged uh, superior force and economy uh, in the world. Um, I think we're in the process of learning what that's like now, and I think that trend will um, will increase in 2022. Um, so those are the big th things I see in terms of trends in in 2022. Um, we'll see how it all turns out, um, but I need to go. I've been su sub subjecting our boys to a uh, huge amount of electronics uh, the last couple weeks while they've been off school and I've been trying to work and my wife's been working um, at a real job that she d can't do at home. Um, so they've been, they've been watching a lot of, uh, a lot of videos and playing a lot of video games and I need to get them off of that, uh, now, but appreciate you listening. Appreciate you, um, reading and listening to the Oregon roundup for the past year. Look forward to doing some fun stuff, uh, next year in 2022. Wish you a, um, a happy new year and uh, you'll hear from me again soon. Bye.